0: The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today, Chuck Blakeman, has built several businesses. Two of them are on four continents. And now he's using his. Success and his experience to help other business owners and leaders build what he calls participation age companies. Chuck's first book, Making Money is Killing Your Business, was rated the number one business book of 2010 by the National Federation of Independent Businesses. And he also appears frequently in print and online in major media such as the Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur Magazine, CNN Money, The New York Times, and on and on. He was also quoted in Stephen Covey's final book. The Third Alternative. Today he's here to talk with us about his new book, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. Welcome to the show today, Chuck. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. As always. So, I want to talk about why employees are always a bad idea, but first, tell us about participation age companies. What does that mean?
1: Well, Kelly, our participation-age company is one that has decided that the business practices we got out of the industrial age really just don't work anymore, especially those practices that came out of the factory system from about 1850 to 1970. Those are, That's what formed the way we do business today. And a participation-age company basically rejects that. It's a company that requires that we we allow people to participate in the building of a great company. to share in it. It requires that they create ownership. It's a company where we we have leaders who hire people they never have to manage. In fact, where in many cases there are no employees, there's no managers. And driving force, the difference between a participation-age company and an industrial-age company that that is continued to practice that way today is the idea that people want to make meaning. They don't want to just make money. And as a result, everybody makes a lot more of both
0: of those things. <laughs> and that sounds like a great idea to me. So basically that's what it boils down to when you say why employees are always a bad idea. It's not that you don't need people to help create the company and to take it to great heights. It's that it's it's the traditional idea of employee that you're rejecting. They're, they're people who don't have to be managed. They're people who are self-sufficient, who are all working towards the same goals and the same outcomes, Right.
1: Yeah, what we don't realize, because none of us, thankfully, are 150 years old, is that this uh, this idea, this whole concept of employee was invented really in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. It started out in the late 1800s, but by the early 20th century, we had this goofy idea of a of, a, of an employee that basically employees are stupid and lazy. This guy, uh, Taylor, came up with uh, the concept in 1903. Frederick Taylor wrote a paper called Shop Management. He revised it in 1911, called it Scientific Management. In that paper, he made two assumptions. Number one, about employees. Number one, employees are stupid. And he says they're so stupid that they more resemble an ox than any other type. And he says the second assumption you have to make about employees is that they're lazy. That they'll only do so much as they have to to not get fired. That's the basis on which all of our modern scientific management theory is based: is that people are generically stupid and lazy, and uh, and, in, and they can't they can't work otherwise. Now we know that's not true because for thousands of years people worked on their own; they weren't stupid and lazy. But my army experience is a great example of the industrial age model that assumes that the average employee is stupid and lazy. When I went into the army 35 years ago. Uh, The drill sergeant said to me, Blakeman, the Army was designed by geniuses to be run by idiots. Which one do you think you are? (laughs) And that's the classic industrial age model that uh, assumes that we have to have a a system designed by geniuses because everybody is stupid.
0: Okay. So coming out of the industrial age, people were considered to be essentially extensions of machines. They do what you say and no more because they're lazy and stupid. So how did modern businesses respond and try to solve or have we solved this stupid and lazy problem?
1: You don't want the whole employee to come to work. That's one of the things is that if people are messy and if we can just get the part to come to work that runs the machine, that's much more preferred. So leave yourself at home and just bring the part that we can extend onto the machine. Just bring that part to work. The other way that we did this was that if if nine out of ten people are stupid and lazy, you take the tenth one who happens to be smart and motivated and you put them in charge of the stupid and lazy ones. And that's where the uh, the entire management system came from, is that if the majority of people are stupid and lazy, you have to have smart and motivated ones to uh, to stand over them and make them work. So managers ensure, ironically, that people are stupid and lazy and that they're productive, but it turns them back into children because uh, you might want somebody to live beside you that you don't tell them when to go to bed, you don't tell them when to shop for the groceries or how to act in a restaurant. But as soon as they turn up for work for you, you expect to tell them exactly when to be there, what time recess is, what time lunch is, uh, exactly what to do all day long, and you turn them back into children because they are, you're pretty sure, stupid and lazy, and you have to manage them to make them productive.
0: Okay. Now obviously you don't buy into that and you 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 know that we can't get anywhere as employers if people really are that way. And so what is it that we have instead of anyway successful companies when we don't treat them like children, what is it that you say that we should have? Yeah, the the word
1: and the, the concept of employee is so broken. We really just can't. It, it's not redeemable. We reject it. We need something else. So uh, we use the word stakeholders in our business. Some words use associates, some use other. It doesn't matter. It's anything but employee, and then you have to treat them entirely differently. Because employees, stakeholders are, are the replacement. Employees are functional children. They need to be told exactly when to, what to do. They, they have to show up in the office, daycare center. They didn't have their managers, have the mommies and daddies uh, load over them. Stakeholders are a whole different breed. They uh, stakeholders harken back to before the factory system, where where you had uh, 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 you had apprentices, you know, people own their own shops, their own farms, and just about everybody before the factory system was self motivated, self managed, and self organized. Stakeholders are those kinds of people. They are st- they people who uh, survived the industrial practice of being treated like children. They refuse to live that way. And they're going to be self-motivated, self-managed, and self-organized whether, uh, whether the world around them calls them stupid or lazy or not.
0: Well, an interesting parallel is, you know, before the industrial age, you mentioned the farmers that were sustainable, and they weren't lazy, they had to work hard, the apprentices and so forth. It wasn't just their livelihood. I mean, they, their whole their whole survival depended on being self-reliant and being smart and working hard. And I think you could probably draw a modern-day parallel with the competition, as stiff as it is, that if your company is full of employees who have to be told what to do rather than stakeholders who are motivated and are all working together to get that company performing better than the competition then your business is going to die so again it's, it's a matter of survival wh- either way you look at it
1: yeah Kelly it's one of the things we learned is we built our company we started to train and, and, uh, and work coach other companies on this idea well, as we looked around us in the world around us we found not surprisingly that this is a tidal wave of companies that are rejecting the idea that you, you need employees or managers, either one. Uh, and and we're finding that in, in, across the, the spectrum. We've worked with uh, companies as small as 10, uh, 10 employees. We've turned them into stakeholders. And the, the owner of that company now takes – she took five weeks off this summer. She now takes every Friday off. Today she told me she's going to be backing away from her business a lot farther, possibly starting another one. She can do that because she used to have 10 employees and now she has 10 stakeholders who take ownership, responsibility. They self-organize. They lead the company, and she's almost irrelevant. Took another company that was a law firm, 50 employees, two founders. The employees, the founders, had never gotten more than one or two weeks off a year, and we worked with them to change them from our, an industrial age company to a participation age company where everybody. Is focused on results, not time. They're focused on becoming stakeholders and responsible adults. And as a result, everybody in that company now works seven and a half hours less per week than they used to. That's what, we'll, that's what trusting people will do for it. We, we think that we can't trust people when, in fact, when you turn them into adults that you trust, they will take your business to a new level.
0: Okay. You know, this all sounds great. Our listeners out there who are business owners are probably scratching their heads and they're saying, hey, I want to take five weeks off in the summer, too, and have all these benefits that come from having stakeholders. But they probably come to you and say, those kinds of people are really hard to find. How do I find them?
1: We make that assumption because we've built systems that prove that to be true. If I believe that people are largely stupid and lazy, I won't ever say that, but I'll build a system that I can just plug people into where they don't have to be smart and motivated, and I get the gig if that's my gig if If you want me to be stupid and lazy in order to keep my job, I'll be stupid and lazy. So only twenty percent of the people that we that that are out there in the business world will actually buck that naturally. they are naturally stakeholders, and you they will resist any attempt you make you have to make them stupid or lazy. Most of the annoying people in in industrial-age businesses, because they ask questions like why, and they they dare to question things, they actually want to make a contribution. They will not settle for just being stupid and lazy. Another 20% truly are probably hopelessly employees. They're permanently children. They don't want to take responsibility. They don't like to take initiative. They just want to be told what to do. The 60% in the middle are the, uh, the ones that are up for grabs. In an industrial age company, if you tell them to be stupid and lazy, they will be stupid and lazy, and thus you prove your own your own idea that 80 percent of people are stupid and lazy. But what you find out is, in industrial age or in in participation age companies, when you take that 60 percent and you tell them you are now going to be an adult, you now have to be responsible for your your work and your results. They take that and they love it. And they they learn how to become that, and they, they rise to the challenge, and they, they join the 20% who are naturally uh, stakeholders. So we are firm believers that 80% of the people out there want to be stakeholders. And if you build a system where they are allowed to be stakeholders, they will take that and run. And we've got proof concepts of that companies with Sunco has three thousand stakeholders, WLGO has ten thousand stakeholders, T D Industries has twenty five thousand stakeholders, there's not an employee in that in, in, in any one of those companies. There are no managers. They have leaders, but the leaders don't have anybody who reports to them. The leaders just walk around the plant saying, How can I make you successful? Most people are self managed, self-organized, they come up with their own uh, time slots. In some cases, they even come up with their own pay, and the uh, they live in little pods of ten to fifteen people, and they vote on each other each uh, about every six months to get to see who gets to stay on the island. You don't need managers in that kind of environment. So we've got people all over the world, companies all over the world of every shape, every size, manufacturing, service, old companies, new companies. They're all doing this. And the, the challenge would be, if we can find you someone in your industry who's already doing this, then why can't you?
0: Okay. So, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Let's talk about some of the different industries where perhaps this might not work, where structure uh, is, is very important, or where, because of OSHA rules, things have to be followed a certain way, or union uh, requirements, how do... How do business owners who find themselves in those situations with those types of regulations, how do they get around those to to create stakeholders?
1: Great question. Well in, in my new book on this very subject, it's called Why and Plays Are Always a Bad Idea. We specifically Put in there a number of these kinds of companies because we knew that's the first place where people would go. You can't do this in manufacturing. You can't do this in unionized environments and where there's a lot of OSHA bureaucracy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I just gave you three manufacturing companies. TV Industry is a construction company. W.L. Gore manufactures all sorts of things, uh, from clothing to uh, to chemi- chemicals and all sorts of things. Sunco manufactures washing machines, meat slicers, heavy machine parts, and, and these companies are doing this really well. Sunco has no office hours. They make mm. washing machines. How in the world do you do that with with that kind of environment? Well, what they've done is they've disassembled the 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 uh, industrial age assembly lines, which everyone said made people more efe- effective and more efficient, and they put people in little pods. And so each pod of ten to fifteen people make a washing machine from the ground up, and they have all the parts right there to do it. There's twenty or thirty pods in the mm-hmm. in the factory, and they self organize. And if they decide they want to come in at noon and work till eight, they do that. They have pods that work from midnight to eight, seven in the morning till three. You just find someone that fits your rhythm, and you run in with, with that pod, and you make washing machines. They make better washing machines. They make them faster, higher quality than any of the assembly line companies out there because they're self-organized. They have competitions with each other. Everybody wants to make a better, faster, uh, more washing machines per year. Uh, and it's a great example of being able to do this in that kind of environment. W.O. GO the same thing. No managers. No employees, just associates in a manufacturing environment, all self-organized. They figure out within themselves how much money each one of them should make. And, and so, yeah, we can, we can do this in any service-based, manufacturing-based, law firm, you name it. This can work in every company in the, in the world. And eventually, within the next five to ten years, this is going to be a big duh. Uh, we're all fed up with industrial age
0: practices And most people are just using me because they think that's the only way to do business. We're talking with Chuck Blakeman, author of Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. We'll be right back. Your product
1: outshines the competition, so why aren't you outselling them? You're meeting sales projections, but the bottom line just isn't what it should be. Technology is changing rapidly and impacting your ability to perform. Something needs to change, but you just can't put your finger on what. I'm Patrick Shore, your host at The Hut, where we tackle these and other issues. The Hut is a safe place where we can explore what it takes to not only stay in front of the competition, but make it irrelevant. So come on in, kick off your shoes, and join the conversation every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, smart companies thinking bigger radio network. The Hut, your path to a stronger, thriving,
0: profitable business. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media, and we're talking here today with Chuck Blakeman, author of Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. There's a lot of business owners, a lot of business so called leaders who are really managers, and not really get into that whole manager versus leader argument, but there's a, a lot of business owners who th- this might sound good to them, but in practice, they would never let go in order for this to happen. So, how do I, as a business owner, create this kind of environment so that yeah. what were formerly employees can now become stakeholders and flourish?
1: It's a great question. Ricardo Summler uh, is the one who revolutionized Semco, turned it out, turned it into a participation company. He wrote a book called Maverick. And in the book, Ricardo says: we have people coming in. From all over the world every Wednesday to our factories to see how we do this. And none of them can figure out to do it because they all want to do it piecemeal. They like their industrial age world and they'll take little bits of our participation age company and try and squeeze it into a shoehorn it into their industrial age world and it doesn't work. So you're either going to do this or you're not. That's number one. You're all in or you're all out. Uh, you, can't, you can't tell people, I'm going to make you an owner of everything you do, but I'm not going to give you profit sharing because I really want to keep all the money myself. So you're either in or you're out. The second thing is that Ricardo Sumler should not have had those people go through his company. He should have had them sit down with him and say, here's what I believe. Because the reason that Ricardo Sumler was able to do that and Bill Gore was able to do it in his company and hundreds of others is because of the way they view the world. So as a business owner, the answer for you is you have got to change the view you have of the world. Do you believe that people are stupid and lazy or that they are smart and motivated adults that you can actually trust with your business? If you believe the former, you will create a system designed for stupid and lazy people. If you believe the latter, you'll do what Gore and hundreds of others have done. You will design a business where people actually get to be adults own their jobs, own their responsibilities, own their tasks, and own the on the outcomes, and uh, and you'll, fi- you'll find that happening. But it's inside your head. And the, the great thing about the book Maverick is you get to see this played out. Ricardo Summer had no idea how to build a participation age company. All he knew was what he believed, that the 80% of people are going to be adults, and I'm going to find those 80%, and I'm going to build a company where people can be self-managed, self-organized, uh, and he did that and it took him 9 years to figure it out but he did it so the answer is inside my head it's really easy change your view of the world and work that out in your business
0: okay so you mentioned that if you tell people that they they have empowerment, that they can take ownership of their jobs, but then you don't share in the profits with them, that that's a real killer, that's a real motivation killer. So what, is, what are the powerful motivators for stakeholders? Is it money like a lot of business owners think? Is that what drives them? What, what's been your experience there? Yeah,
1: the number one, the most powerful motivator in, in business and in life is ownership. The little five-year-old in kindergarten class it has much more connection with his own pair of shoes than anybody else's. Ownership is the most powerful motivator in business. And the problem is employees don't own anything but a task. And when you give people a task, they feel used. But when you give them a responsibility, they become owners. And it's a very different thing. A task is just telling people what to do. Responsibility is, giving them the responsibility to figure out how to do it better, how to come up with how, to, how to stop doing it, how to come up with better ideas, to take ownership of their lives and their at work. So uh, ownership has to, has to go all the way through to profit sharing. You can't just say to someone, you own your task, your job, your process, but I'm going to own the money. The second thing that is the most powerful motivator is making meaning, which starts with ownership. Nobody wants to make money. Not millennials, not baby boomers. Everybody wants to make meaning. And when you put people in a position where they can own their responsibilities and be participating in the creation of a great company, they walk away every day and say, I made a difference. The third thing is relationships. That You need to build an environment where people actually enjoy being with each other. It's not just task-oriented, get the job done and go home and have friends. And then the the fourth one is that money is at the bottom of the hierarchy. We don't realize that people are not motivated mostly by making money. If they're making money that's commensurate with what other people in the industry are making, the top five or six things that motivate them will be things like ownership, making meaning, relationships, culture, and the things that we call woo-woo crap. (laughs) The fact is that that's where people are really motivated, and that's what will bring a stakeholder running to you. If you build a company like that, the stakeholders will come running, and if your company isn't like that, they're going to leave you.
0: Okay. I have. Let's say I've got an existing company. I agree with everything that you have said today, and I've still ha- I still have. I have that sixty. The twenty percent who they're already on board. And I've got the sixty percent that you described. Yeah, I bet if I just changed some things here, I'd have them performing with those top twenty percent. What about those twenty percent that are never going to become stakeholders? What do we do with them? Find them now. Yeah, as quickly as you, you can. can now. Now, let me me, uh, modify that. That's pretty
1: mean-sounding. We got 150 years of this uh, culture, and whoever you're about to fire has 20, 30, 40 years of working with inside that culture as an employee. It is not fair to them to simply walk over them and to say you're fired. I think everybody should be given a chance to show, are they part of the 60% or are they part of the 20%? And so when I work with companies we take anywhere from six months to a year and a half to work with people to change them from being an employee into a stakeholder because there's a lot of baggage that we've, we've treated them like employees, the people before us have treated them like that, the culture treats them like that. It's going to take some time for people to change. When, For instance, I'll give you an example. When people join W.L. Gore, 10,000 people, $3 billion company, uh, the, the people at Guard t- says it takes them six to 12 months just to believe that there are no managers looking over their shoulders. It takes them six to 12 months just to make that shift. So I am willing to work with any employee who wants to become a stakeholder as long as they keep moving. But when they, when they hunker down and they say, you know, I don't want that kind of responsibility, I don't actually want to be a full adult, just I want to be a teenager, then we have to fire them. Okay. But the fact is, 80% of the people, the 60% will want to come with you.
0: Right. Okay, so as we close up here today, you've given us a lot to think about, a lot that we can put into action. Obviously, we want to get your book. Uh, what's the one thing that you would leave us with to help us build a participation age company?
1: Yeah, I'm going to leave you with this first and foremost. Again, it's in your head that matters. If you believe that people want to make meaning, if you believe that 80% of the people out there actually want to be adults, that's what you have to start with. You have to believe that stakeholders are everywhere and that there's a lot of them and that there's a lot of people who think like employees who actually want to be stakeholders if you would just create a participated co- company that allows them to share in the building of that great company. So the best way for you to build a successful company that's built on a participation age culture is to believe you can do that to to find stakeholders who can take the company and run it while you build the vision for the future.
0: Okay, so it starts with you as the business owner. Your book, "Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea," where can we get a copy of that?
1: You can get it at the uh, the website of the same name, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea dot com. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's on all the ebook formats, Barnes and Noble type formats, formats, and Kindle and all that kind of stuff. So. You can find it in any of those formats. And I would uh, put a plug in for it. It just came out three weeks ago, and uh, the uh, chief editors for CEO – Executive Magazine are going to name it uh, one of their top ten books for 2013.
0: Chuck, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Again, Chuck Blakeman, if you want to get a copy of his book, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea, go out to the website by the same name, or you can find it on Amazon.com and the major major booksellers. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your company, please go visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. You can follow us on Twitter at IThinkBigger and also follow us on our Facebook page, Thinking Bigger Business Media. Thanks. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and we'll see you next Friday. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.